0: i chosen a group of passages that focuses on the theme, and you will notice as I read them, some words are in the italics, which is, again, purposeful to stress the subject. So from the Old Testament, from Exodus, Daniel, Zechariah, and the Psalms, hear this portion of God's Word. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Lift up your heads, O gates, And lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. From the New Testament, books Hebrews and Titus. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is appointed for man to die once and after this, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God, and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. May God add his blessing to this reading of his, of his word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Spirit of God who enabled the prophets and apostles to write without error to display Yourself, Your truth, Your salvation to Your people. To all who will hear, pray that You would come now and do Your work so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable to You, You who are a rock and our Redeemer. We pray for Christ's sake and His glory. Amen. Well, today is Epiphany. Um, if you saw Frank's tie this morning, is Frank here tonight? I don't know whether he's here, but he had a wonderful tie on that someone mentioned, and I had to go look at it. Mary thought I was wanting to talk to her, but I really was staring at Frank's tie. And uh, it was a real piece of art, having uh, depicted what is normally celebrated in the history of the, the church on this day, which is the coming of the Magi to see the baby Jesus. And therefore, it's an epiphany or revelation, although that's not the word I really want to use, appearance, manifestation of God to the Gentiles. This is the first Gentiles to come and see this child. And he was born not to be the Savior of the Jews only, but of the Gentiles as well. But Jesus was also an epiphany to Simeon just as much. That first opportunity to display him in the temple, his house. And both the Magi and Simeon were given a revelation of information about this child. And that's why they came to see him. So that we might distinguish between an epiphany and revelation in this way an epiphany is a vision, it's an appearance but it may not have any specific meaning without a revelation. That is, information as to what it means. The wise men, the magi, had been told, this is the star, go follow this star, perhaps through Daniel. Um, Simeon had been told that he he was not going to die until he held the Lord's Christ in his arms. and So he had this privilege, this epiphany, of holding the Savior of the world in his arms. Well, during Jesus' public ministry, of course, he was with his disciples constantly. After the resurrection, he appeared to them intermittently. It wasn't constant. He was weaning them from his personal, physical presence. And the very last appearance was his ascension into heaven. Tonight I want to focus on two great redemptive events that are epiphanies. By redemptive events, I mean that they are as important for our salvation as the incarnation, as the life of Jesus, as the suffering of Jesus, as his death and resurrection. And I hope to show you briefly in the little time we have, some of the riches of these two great redemptive events, and they are both epiphanies. The one is the ascension of Christ, as we've been focusing in our singing, as I chose these passages to read to us. The other is the final epiphany of the coming of Christ at the end of the world, to judge the world in righteousness, and to be wondered at by all those who believe on him. But I want to particularly focus tonight on this epiphany of Christ at his ascension. And by that, I don't mean the disciples watching him as he went into heaven. They had seen Him. They saw Him the 40 days, more or less, when He appeared to them after His resurrection. But I'm talking about the appearance of Christ when He re-entered heaven. He spoke often about going back to His Father. This was the desire of His heart. He would even say at one point, Oh, crooked and twisted generation, how long am I with you? And of course, as God, the Son of God never left heaven any more than He leaves any place. He is an infinite, eternal, and unchangeable spirit. But in taking on our nature, it's described as Him coming down and descending. And so His desire was to return to where He was and to the glory that He had with the Father before that. Now in order to understand this properly, it seems to me, and that's why we had these readings from the Old Testament, just a tiny smattering of what's there, we have to understand the chief epitome, uh, 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 not a chief epitome, that's a redundancy, the chief uh, epiphany of the Old Testament. We might think of the Exodus. But the Exodus, again, was an event. It was a redemptive event, a physically redemptive event. But it brought a nation of idolaters out into the wilderness, and they proved that very quickly. It didn't change their hearts. Even the Passover, which was the means by which they could come out and an explanation that it was the life of that Lamb that produced their salvation, didn't, didn't seem to change them. Nor was it Moses and his visions of God and his time with God, because that was private, that was personal, and the redemptive events are for everyone, and not just for individuals. Rather, I would argue that the chief epitome, uh, I'm, I'm going to be stuck on that word, epiphany of the Old Testament is the tabernacle, and after that the temple. Because in this divinely instituted means of worshiping God and of God actually being with His rebellious sinful people, God was showing them the means of salvation in pictures, in types. As Paul calls it in Galatians, it was the childhood of the church. And so you don't teach children adult things. They're not ready for them. So the infant people of God, the adolescent people of God in Israel were taught by types and shadows. And it was all of the equipment in the tabernacle. One could do a whole series on the tabernacle and show Christ all over the place. But there was also the high priest. And the high priest was critical to this arrangement. And he was critical in the way that he spoke of the Messiah's work as a priest. So this high priest, with blood-sanctified garments, also bore the names of all the tribes of Israel and two sets of beautifully carved gems when he went alone with blood from a ram, from a bull, first to atone for his own sins, and then the sins of the people, and then the defilements of the whole tabernacle. They had to be cleansed annually by this entrance into the most holy place once a year, never without blood, and only long enough to go in with some incense, coals that would produce a smoke, a sweet-smelling smoke, and he sprinkled blood before the mercy seat, while everyone in the congregation fasting and waiting would he come out alive could he go in and stand before the presence of this holy god who shook the earth at sinai with his law and come out that was the annual event done by aaron and his successors i would argue that the chief work of our lord jesus christ on earth was his high priest Um, He refused the crowd after they had been full of fish and bread to make him king. Remember in John 6, they wanted to make him king. Even though before Pilate he said, yes, I'm a king, and I have a kingdom. And though he did miracles beyond anything prophets did in the Old Testament, and they were the ones who chiefly did miracles, so often he would say those strange words, tell no one. Why? Because they mistook the miracles For the kind of kingdom they wanted, which was a physical kingdom, and not to be cleansed of their sins and to be made able to walk in righteousness before God, let alone to welcome the Gentiles. (laughs) So, the primary work of Christ was to teach the law, and that was the job of the priests, to make it clear that He was the goal of the law. That law was given not to Produce a self induced righteousness by trying to keep what Paul calls a ministry of death. Because when you get serious about the law and you realize what it demands, you know you don't keep it. And you have no hope of obtaining a righteousness according to God's standard through it. But Jesus came to be a priest. And he, the book of Hebrews, as I read a, a, a portion of it, goes into length of describing the nature of Christ's priesthood. And it speaks of him at his ascension, when his human nature, which was like ours except without sin and in a resurrected body, passed through the heavens, says Hebrews. How can that be possible physically? It was. And so he passed through the heavens to appear before his Father in heaven and to reach the highest place at sinai god is described in psalm 68 as going up after he came down and he's attended as that psalm describes with chariots thousands of chariots which almost everyone believes and i think they're right were the angels that attended him and the new testament speaks of the law being given through the administration of angels and up they went Taking captivity captive. Who was captivity? I think it was the people of Israel. And God took them captive by bringing them out and bringing them in and that type to Himself. He says so in Exodus 19. I brought you on eagle's wings to Me, to be My people. And He gave gifts to men. How did they get them? They got loot from the Egyptians. They plundered them. The Egyptians said, we'll give you anything. Just get out of here or we'll all be destroyed. Well, that was just a preliminary to the ascension of Christ, because at his ascension he took captivity captive. He took Satan and all his hosts captive, so that the dominion that every unbelieving person exists under, the dominion of Satan, bound by him, as John puts it at the end of 1 John 5, the whole world lies in the evil one. Under his dominion, that was broken at the cross by our great high priest. And when he went into heaven, he took them captive. No more will sin have dominion over you, says Paul. Oh, it will fight you, but it does not have dominion. And so, Jesus, in ascending to his Father, though vindicated on earth at the resurrection, his person and work, vindicated by that being raised from the dead, must present himself before his Father in heaven. As man, bearing our nature, as Heidelberg puts it so beautifully, our flesh is in heaven. I love that phrase. So that he, the head, will take us. It's a sure pledge that he, the head, will take us, his members, up to himself. So when the Lord Jesus Christ returned to heaven, I would argue that this was the greatest celebration that has ever existed on the face of heaven or earth the darling of heaven had come back. And those angels who had no idea how it would be possible for God to redeem sinners, since all the fallen angels had no hope from the moment they fell, there was no propitiation for fallen angels. The beginning of Hebrews is eloquent to say Christ didn't take on himself the nature of angels when he came into the world. He took our nature... He was not obligated to save angels. I've had the conversation with people who believe that somehow everybody's going to be saved and I say, "Well, that include the devil? It should. If it's going to be everybody, if the atonement is universal, there is no atonement for, for demons. Christ took himself on Himself the nature, our nature, and in that nature, that human nature, He appeared before His Father and He received from Him Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy, the glory, the triumph of your Lord. As God the Father was the Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ as to his human nature. So let us just draw a few thoughts about what this means. This magnificent epiphany before the Father and all the holy angels and their deafening roar of glory and joy. And we sang about some of this in the hymns that that if you don't know these, and uh, I understand Mike doesn't, you need to know these hymns. These are tremendous hymns. When the high priest on earth emerged from the holy place alive, as I said, it was evident that God had accepted the atonement for all the tabernacle, for the people, and for the priest himself for that year. Jesus' priestly work on earth was accepted by his Father for all time. There is no more sacrifice for sin. There is no more necessity of the sacrifice for sin. And as I say, that was proved by His resurrection on earth and it is proved by His ascension and acceptance in glory. The earthly priest never sat down. Why? Because there was no chair in the tabernacle. And all the equipment of the temple or tabernacle. There was no chair. Because their work was never done. Because there was no cessation of the need for this, this cattle ground slaughterhouse that the tabernacle and the temple were. We have these little models that look so perfect and beautiful of everybody looking just incredibly uh, tabernacle Aaron's robe was blue, but it was spattered with blood. It had oil on it because he was anointed. And the constant noise of the braying and lowing of animals and all the things that they do and what they smell like, this was the tabernacle in the temple. Ceaseless, no chairs. When Jesus Christ entered heaven, he sat down. His work was finished. And Zechariah promised for the first time legitimately there would be a priest on the throne. Remember, Uzziah tried to do this. He, the king, took a censer and was going to go into the temple and offer incense. And he got in there and the priests were restraining him. And suddenly leprosy broke out on him. And he lived a leper isolated from all the people of God ever since after that. But Jesus Christ sat down on His throne as a priest. And the beauty of this for us is He reigns as a priest for His people. We know these things, but we need to think on them. Look, ye saints, the sight is glorious. There is our priest on His throne. Never again to be attacked by sin. Never again to be attacked by Satan. Safe. Once and for all, there he is enthroned for his people. The high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year. For how long? Twenty minutes? Half an hour at the most to do what he needed to do? And then out. Our high priest has entered heaven not to leave until when? He comes back and has the final epiphany the final manifestation and appearance of Christ in glory. And there he is, ever before his Father, accepted, beloved, and the object of the angels' songs and wonder. You noticed in that first passage we read from Exodus about this turban and this uh, this, uh, metal band on the turban, holy to the Lord, and that Aaron had to wear that as well as his robe, all the time he was ministering. Why? It says in the text, so that the deficiencies in the worship of God's people, God could see that wholly to the Lord and as if if it were to remind God, he doesn't need to be reminded, but the Scripture speaks in terms we can understand, that, oh yes, despite Aaron's sin, despite the sins of the other priests and Levites ministering, He's doing this at my appointment, and so he is my man. When Jesus Christ went into heaven, what were his insignia? Charles Wesley puts it so beautifully in that first hymn we sang Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers, their blood availed for me. Forgive, forgive, they cry nor let that ransom sinner die. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't wear a turban. He has the marks of His priestly work in His body. And they stand before His Father, always, constantly making intercession for us. What a glorious thing that is, isn't it? And when John in Revelation 5, I love this, weeps because here's this scroll with the seven seals. It's the future. It's everything that's going to happen. And he's crying because nobody on earth or in heaven was found that could open the scroll. And an angel says, Don't weep, John. The lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. But when John looks, he doesn't see a lion, he sees a lamb as it had been slain. That beautiful picture, again, of Christ as priest, having suffered. And he is the one that can take the scroll and he will open its seals and he will control the future, which he does as the priest upon his throne. What a glorious picture that is. The earthly priests grew weary. They sinned. They were limited in their intercession for themselves and their people. But our glorious great high priest ever lives to make intercession. And as I say, his presence alone is the proof that all who put their trust in Him are protected by His glorious presence and the worship He's accorded there. He never gets tired. He never sleeps. He's always heard. And the answer He receives from His Father is always yes. No no's. Because they're coming from His delightful Son. And His will is the Father's will. Christ was lifted up from the earth on the cross when He defeated sin and Satan with His hosts on behalf of the elect and has led all of them captive. Their dominion is broken. And the earthly priest was anointed with oil, as I mentioned, a symbol of the Holy Spirit's blessing on His labors. Though the priest himself was still a sinner and he was powerless to give the Holy Spirit to anyone else. He couldn't affect a change in anybody's heart. He couldn't pour the Holy Spirit out. He couldn't even anoint other people with that oil. It only belonged to Him. Jesus Christ, when exalted to the highest place, does what? He pours out the promised oil of the Holy Spirit in a totally new degree upon every believer that will remain with them That blessed spirit until they are perfected in holiness and brought into heaven. It cannot fail. And that was promised in the Old Testament. It was promised by Christ, and He kept His word. Well, these are just a few of the things that could be said about this glorious appearance of Christ in our nature, the God man before his father and exalted to this highest place. What, a, what, a, what an epiphany it was. What a time of joy. And this is how we should think of him, dear saints. Yes, this table reminds us of his suffering and we are to think on his death with these elements. But for us in our struggles and in our seeking to live a Christian life, Christ has triumphed to give us that victory. But we must go back to Him, and go back to Him, and go back to Him. He is not a man only to be wearied by us. He is the God-man who died to undertake for us. And perhaps one of our chief sins is we don't go back to Him continuously. We try other things. We make resolutions in our own strength. We mean well. But without the power, without... The total reliance on Christ and taking advantage of Him who's always ready to heal us, to strengthen us, to enable us to persevere. I think of these dear saints in the covenant early reign church in China and the things they write. It's so full of the glory of the power of Christ to keep His people in the midst of persecution and to want to shine in the midst of that. That's our attitude it should be because Christ has triumphed. And he will help us triumph through everything else we face. Well, the final epiphany is the return of Christ himself. And what's the great difference, a great difference between the first coming of Christ and the second? In the first coming of Christ, it was very easy to miss it. We needed a heavenly host to be able to tell the shepherds out in the fields that it had happened. There needed to be a star, or in my view, an angel of light that led these magi to the Christ child. It wasn't known by everyone at once. It still isn't known that Christ is come. But when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, no one will miss it. No one will be absent. Everyone will be present and accounted for. The angelic, trillions will make sure they are there and attended and will see this priest upon His throne as man judging the world in righteousness. Oh, how we should long for that day. How we should long for that vindication of Christ publicly, who was so publicly abused in His life. Oh no, this second appearance, well... When John even saw him in the first chapter of the Revelation in his glory, and John, a righteous man, uh, an apostle, given this privilege of recording the 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 apocalypse, when he sees the the the, the triumphant glorified Christ wearing this priestly robe—it's a huge robe—and his eyes flames of fire, and the whiteness of his hair—the whole vision—what does he do? falls on his face as a dead man. And the terror to those who have rejected Christ when they see the Lamb upon his throne to judge the nations. How this should garrison us, should work in us a compassion for our worst enemies that they would know this Jesus. George Whitfield, a great evangelist, when they would throw tomatoes and rocks and other things at him, when they would abuse him, when they would call him all sorts of names as he preached in the fields, he preached everywhere, God greatly used his ministry. He said, I don't care what you think about me. I don't care how you reject me. Don't reject my Jesus. Listen. Hear. Believe. Be saved. Be healed. Now the Lord Jesus now is personally absent from us present in heaven we have his spirit we have the gifts that he's poured out through his spirit but this absence sort of like the momentary disappearance of the high priest into the holy of holies should create in us a yearning as I say Um, it's for the good of the church he said it's good for you that I go away and in fact The fact that Jesus is still in heaven is a hope for the world. Because when He comes back, all hope ends for those who are outside of Christ. There is no hope. There are no second chances. It's forever gone. And so now is His day of salvation. Today is the time to believe. Not tomorrow. Today. To embrace this great High Priest and His work. And to be full of thanks and joy that he has come for you while the world continues to fill up its measure of sin and wickedness hasting towards destruction christ is at the same time gathering his elect one soul at a time and bringing them to himself finally how should we wait for this final epiphany with faith to believe that it's going to happen As I get older, and my mother had an epiphany 76 years ago, about 2 a.m. today, and her only son came into the world, and the nurse said, well, you've got a little preacher. I don't believe in prophetic utterances by nurses, even to my mother. And sadly, my father died before he ever heard me preach. He heard me teach a few times. But... That was a wonderful day for me. I'm very thankful for, for the Lord to put me in that family. to give me godly parents who taught me the fear of God, prayed for me when I was far away, loved me through all of that. And I encourage you parents, don't stop praying. Don't cease to cry out to God for your children, whether they give evidence of knowing the Lord or not. But... We, pre- we, pre- we prepare with faith. We prepare with the love of His appearing. Paul says, there's a crown laid up for me that the righteous judge will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to who? To all those who have loved His appearing. Who have loved His appearing. Who loved His first epiphany and are looking for the second one. How oh, is it long after this? <laughs> it's their heart. And we should wait with longing for it for Him to come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, is the way the Bible ends. And I often pray, Lord, come quickly now in mercy. Come quickly in salvation to people. And then finally, come quickly in judgment, in the manifestation of all that glory, and the, Your glory, the glory of the Father, the glory of all the holy angels. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, we need to wait with patience and endurance. Think of the Old Testament saints as Mike pointed out in a sermon recently saying at last or finally He is here. And that should be us. We're longing for this. We're longing for the, for the, not the president, we're longing for the king. We're longing for the priest to come and set all things right and to believe that that's going to happen. And then we need to prepare for it. Remember the parable of the five virgins? wise and the five foolish they were identical in every outward appearance but the five foolish had no oil in their lamps they weren't converted they looked and smelled and acted like real Christians, real believers there was no oil or they had oil and it burned out so they had some influence of the spirit but it wasn't lasting do we have oil in our lamps do we know the Lord, do we love him do we want to serve Him? What are the marks, subjectively, that we belong to Him, even though we look to Him as our Savior and for our salvation completely? Well, all the grace we need to live in this way is found in this exalted Christ. And so, our our, our words could actually mimic. If you'd like to take your hymn book, we're not going to sing this, and turn to 177. A wonderful hymn to this exalted Christ. And I'm going to read these words. And then we will sing our final hymn which really has to do with Christ's second coming. Oh, could I speak the matchless worth. This is hymn number 177. Oh, could I speak the matchless worth. Oh, could I sound the glorious, the glories forth which in my Savior shine. I'd soar, and touch the heavenly strings and vie with Gabriel while he sings in notes almost divine. In notes almost divine. I'd sing the precious blood he spilt, my ransom from the dreadful guilt of sin and wrath divine. I'd sing his glorious righteousness in which all perfect heavenly dress my soul shall ever shine. My soul shall ever shine. I'd sing... The characters He bears and all the forms of love He wears exalted on His throne. In loftiest songs of sweetest praise I would to everlasting days make all His glories known. Make all His glories known. Well, the delightful day will come when my dear Lord will bring me home and I shall see His face. Then, with my Savior, brother, friend, a blessed eternity I'll spend, triumphant in His grace. Triumphant in His grace. Let us pray. Father, thank You for this privilege with these dear saints and friends to spend time thinking of Your glory made evident in heaven In that entirely new degree, no human being, no human nature ever had such glory. It vastly surpassed Adam in his first creation. And we thank You. You were received Your Savior. And there You sit upon Your throne representing Your people, including us. We pray for the faith and the love and the longing that we need after You and after Your coming in mercy and in glory and judgment. We pray, Lord, for any who are here that are still outside of You who may know a great deal. But do they know You? And do You know them? And are they safe in their trust in You? Are they forgiven? Have they learned to hate sin and to flee to You for your, Your comfort and grace? Oh Lord, draw them tonight to Yourself. And we give You praise for this time and ask that You would sanctify these words. Blow away the chaff and may the solid grain sink down to bear fruit in all our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hymn of Responses, number 289. A hymn of glory. Let us sing. Number 289. We'll stand together and sing this. <clears throat>